Let's open our Bibles this morning to Ezra chapter 9. We'll read verses 1 through 4 of Ezra chapter 9. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations. From the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this the faithlessness, in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. Let's pray. Our Father, teach us from your word today. I pray that the words that I speak would be from and through your spirit that they would be to your Spirit in the hearts of your people. Apply your Word to all of our hearts. Father, light a lamp to show us the dark places so that we may bring them out into the light. If we are holding on to sin, I pray that you would bring that out so that we might kill it and we might follow you all the more closely. We give you all honor and glory and praise for you alone are worthy. It is in the name of the, of the name of Jesus Christ, the worthy Lamb of God, we pray. Amen. We continue this Lord's Day to look at these remarkable verses in the, in the ninth chapter of Ezra. We began, as many of you recall, looking at what the issue was in the first place. Marrying idolaters. And then last week we focused on what it meant to be the holy race, the people of God. And this week I would like to spend our time together beginning to look at Ezra himself in relation to this incident. I've told you before, Ezra receives mixed reviews from commentators. Some, particularly those common commentators that seem to be more interested in a progressive religion that accommodates the cares of the culture, because unfortunately progressive almost always means a desire to move beyond the teaching of Scripture to pro- progress to a new knowledge or a new standard. Those commentators, by and large, view Ezra as a misguided leader. They accuse him, as I told you before, of being a racist or ethnocentric in the le- at, at the least. They feel that the remedy that he prescribes in the latter part of this book is far too harsh 
and some have even called it ungodly. But I will hope you recall that a couple of weeks ago we looked at the real deadly problem that occurs when the people of God walk in friendship with the world. And recall that nothing in this passage had to do with racism because other peoples and other nations had been free to join with Israel from the very beginning as long as they walked with their God. Thus the issue with marrying the people of the land is the very one that God warned them about in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy. He warned them through the prophets that if they they made friends with the people of the land, if they followed after their ways, they would allow their arguments, their teachings, and their methods to pollute the purity of their worship of God. They would look at the way they worship and say, the world gets to do it this way. Why can't we? Thus these liberal theological progressives prove the point that we're warned about all the way back in Exodus because they have valued friendship with the world over fidelity to the Word of God. But I said earlier that Ezra receives mixed reviews. I read a Jewish commentator this week who agreed with many reform commentators that Ezra is probably second only to Moses in the leadership of the Jewish people. And even these Jewish, even that Jewish commentator did not commend him simply because he offered an unbending defense of Judaism. They commend him because of his humility, because of his wisdom, because of his piety, and because of his tenacity. And in this assessment, I quite agree. Because when we look at the leaders in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, Ezra gives us much to instruct our conduct as believers in Jesus Christ. So it is with this thought I'd like to focus the rest of our time this morning, and we will in fact take it into next week as well. We'll look at the responsibility of leadership, particularly the leadership of God's people. This week I will only have time to introduce the subject. God willing, next week we will look more specifically at Ezra's example and the teaching of Scripture in support of his decisions and of his actions. Now, I hope that you haven't just said to yourself, oh good, he's talking to leaders today. So I can check out mentally and think about something else. Stay with me. Because Christian, if you are not a leader in the church of Jesus Christ yet, You are expected to be one day. Unless you think you may have misunderstood what I just said, I'll make it plainer. God did not call you to come to church every Sunday to sit and be fed. He called you to grow and be someone who is feeding others. The writer of Hebrews chides the believers who are in this very state when we read in Hebrews chapter 5 beginning in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. By this time, you ought to be teachers, is what he tells them. For how many of us in this congregation, how many of us who are listening today, can God say the same thing? He says you should have your spiritual powers of discernment trained. How many of us are diligently applying ourselves to that kind of training? Let's take a moment to think about the difference. Those who can eat only milk are what? They're infants. Those who eat solid food, they do it by degrees. Anybody here who has had a child or has been a child, you've gone from milk to solid food, but you didn't go straight from milk to a beautiful ribeye steak. There were degrees along there. There might have even been Cheerios involved. But the difference between these stages of people is that milk must be fed to someone who can only live on milk. But a person who eats solid food can feed themselves. And we all remember that sometimes even that gets messy. But then they grow, they develop, and they are able to feed others. That's the analogy that the writer of Hebrews gives us. And the very problem that exists in too many Christians in our land. There are too many people who would leave spiritual growth to the professionals to the preachers, to the elders, to the teachers, to the people with responsibility that everybody can see. And the tragedy is that so many use as their excuse for not developing these skills, this relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've heard this excuse. I don't have time. They say, I who inhabit the same 24-hour days as everyone else on the planet don't have the time to dedicate myself to meaningful spiritual growth. Beloved, we have all the time we need for the things we value. If we don't make the time then we don't value it enough to forego something else. If we cannot find the time to seek God, to search His Word, to practice real discipline in our efforts to become a more faithful follower, then the truth is we haven't valued Him enough to think it worthwhile. Because the first point of leadership the very first thing I want us all to understand is that it grows naturally out of our devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ. 
leadership flows because we have gotten so close to Him. It comes through us. Do you struggle? Of course you do. Everyone who desires to live a godly life will meet with opposition. But in those struggles, don't forget the beauty of the gospel. Don't forget the comfort and the peace of Jesus Christ. Never forget that were it not for His suffering, His pain, His torture, that you would have no hope before a holy God. Were it not for His sacrifice, you wouldn't be His people. We love Him because He first loved us. Hear His call from Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28. He says, Come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This world is going to bop you around. It's going to push you one place and then push you another way. It's going to give you a new direction every day to follow. Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who have had the burdens of the world put on your shoulders, and I will give you rest. Look again in John 16, where He says, I have said these things to you, that in Me you may have peace. But then, in that exact same breath, He says, in the world you will have tribulation. So which is it? Do we have peace in Christ or do we have tribulation in Christ? Do we have trouble? My friend, you can have both. There's going to be trouble as long as we're in this world. The world is full of tribulation. It's full of trouble. There are hurricanes and there are ice storms. There are viruses and there are pandemics and there are pestilences. There are wars and there are crimes. And there are men and women who have experienced violence against them simply because they named the name of Jesus Christ. There are men and women, ordinary, non-preachers who gave their lives in, their co- in, their co- in the cause of Christ. There are men and women today that give their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ because they believe at the end of this verse where Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Babies don't do that. Mature, godly, God-led Jesus lovers do that. Babies judge churches based on the music or on the light shows or on the polish or on the attendance or on the programs that are there to dazzle or excite or just keep them out of boredom. Mature people want more than trivialities when they come before a holy God. They seek out where the Word of God is faithfully proclaimed at all levels 
of the teaching ministries of the church. They expect leaders from top to bottom. They seek out congregations who love each other and want to be involved in each other's lives and not just to be Sunday buddies. And they will, if they are truly mature, thrive in a place that will allow them to serve at the right time in the right way with their gifts, all with loving and patient oversight. When Paul compares the faithful to soldiers, he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, what, have you, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Babies don't go into battle. Grown men do. Now, I don't want to get sidetracked into a different subject altogether, so please accept my summary. Mature women have a distinct responsibilities as well. And so, women's reason for growth is equally as strong, equally as compelling. But the thing I don't want you to go away from here is to think that I am anti-baby. Because no matter how long you have been in Christ, you began as an infant in Christ. There was a time when your testimony consisted of, I don't know about all that theology. All I do know is once I was lost and now I'm alive in Christ. And is there a more glorious statement? Or as the formerly blind man gave testimony in front of the Sanhedrin in John chapter 9 verse 25, one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. There is not a sweeter testimony than the testimony of someone who has been made alive in Christ, who has had their life converted from death into life, who has been raised by the Holy Spirit of God. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind. But now I see. And it's the church's responsibility, the responsibility of those more mature in Christ to teach them faithfully to follow Him. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-3 through says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's so much in that passage. We're going to unpack that next week. But for now, 
See the responsibility that is laid on those who have matured in the faith, who have grown beyond being babies. Because being baby is good for a while. But we are meant to grow. Shepherd and teach the newer believers in Christ, particularly those who may be less mature, and deal with them patiently and lovingly, not domineering. We're going to see Ezra do that next week. Young believers make mistakes. Like I said before, it gets messy sometimes when people are feeding themselves. Have you ever been to a one-year-old's birthday party? As human parents, I know we all lost our temper at times with the toddlers who were in our care. But let us strive as mature believers to be positively correcting, always pointing the errant to the Scripture for guidance, teaching them how to feed themselves by learning how to correctly understand the Scripture, by teaching them the dangers of certain philosophies that masquerade as truth, by catechizing them so that they'll thoroughly understand the doctrines that are so vital to maturity in Christ. I occasionally read social media. And almost every week, someone somewhere I see making, or sometimes I hear it, making the inane statement that doctrine is not important for a follower of Jesus Christ. And in a sense, they're correct. There's no doctrinal understanding necessary to repent from your sin and follow Christ in faith. In other words, there is no prior knowledge required to be born again. You don't have to know anything to be born the first time. You don't have to know anything except that Jesus has saved you to be born the second. But to grow in maturity, doctrine allows you to see the pitfalls, the traps, the snares, the enemy sets to try to shipwreck your faith. It helps us discern between what may seem right to a man but leads to destruction and what is pleasing to God that leads to life. For a baby, doctrine would be of little use like supplying an infant with a slide rule and a calculus textbook. But for one who is mature, correct doctrine is a powerful weapon to protect himself and others in this world full of subtle evil. It is a powerful tool to come to the aid of others in the midst of a spiritual crisis, even if they don't know the danger that they are in. If for no other reason, that is exactly why Paul told Timothy to entrust what he had been taught to faithful men. Brothers and sisters, we must all be about the business of maturing in Christ. Getting stronger in the Spirit. Being more fluent in God's Word. More dependent 
in our relationship with Him. 1 John 2.3 says, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. We learn from Him and we obey Him and we do it all because we love Him. Let's pray. Our Father, teach us to love You more than anything else. More than even our life. Remind us of the love that You had for us. That You would call us out of darkness into Your light. That You would call us who were Your enemies and bring us into Your family. Adopt us, sons and daughters of the Most High. God, I pray that we would encourage each other to love You more and that we would love each other more as we seek to follow You. I pray that where we might have been comfortable sitting and not growing, that God, You would convict our hearts to follow You more closely every day. That You would call us gently and powerfully to bow our hearts before You. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Amen.